0: Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. In the name of our Good Shepherd. Amen. Please be seated. I sometimes wonder if the growing distance that we have from a simpler agrarian way of life makes us like the Pharisees in today's gospel, whether we're so far away from these simple metaphors, these key metaphors we find in the Bible, that we don't really understand what Jesus is saying. Today is Good Shepherd Sunday, and a day when being a good shepherd means using apps to track how fast your lambs are growing, using synthetic antibiotics to treat injuries. Being a good shepherd today rarely means wandering about through the wilderness with your sheep. We live in a time of GPS-adjusted fence lines. And Bruce Chatwin, in his work The Song Lines, recounts the story of a 19th century Englishman watching the shepherds of Bethlehem. And the report might surprise you, because in the story, the visitor wakes up early one morning and sees shepherds leading their flocks out of a cave. The shepherds, it turns out, often huddled together with their sheep in caves to get out of the harsh environment. Caves kept the animals and the shepherds safe, warm, and dry. If you visit Bethlehem today and go to the Church of the Nativity, you'll discover that we in North America and in Western Europe have the Nativity all wrong. Jesus was born in a cave. That Nativity scene that we put up in our churches and homes in the West, it was invented in Italy. People in Europe imagine barns and shacks and stables But in ancient Israel, and up until at least the 19th century, Chatwin tells us, animals in Palestine were often kept overnight in caves. Mangers were underground. As Chatwin's Englishman watches that early morning, he wonders, if you have multiple flocks, multiple shepherds, all sheltering together in the cave, how do you sort out the sheep? You could imagine arguments, struggles to identify which sheep belongs to whom, but the Brit is astonished when each shepherd simply begins singing. And the sheep know their shepherd's voice. They know the song. They follow their particular shepherd out of the cave. The songs, the voices separate the sheep. They didn't need a rod or staff. The good shepherds simply sang. I knew a priest once who was convinced that most of our church nativity plays were problematic. He insisted that children should not play barnyard animals. And so though his parish had a box full of sheep costumes, during his tenure the fluffy cotton outfits sat disused. If you can't tell, I disagree. One of the most widely used metaphors for God is the Good Shepherd. In that metaphor, we're the sheep. This is an image which has comforted and consoled our ancestors for millennia. We live in cacophonous times. Distractions are multiplying. Scientists tell us attention spans are shrinking. Too many voices are amplified. In the midst of all of our technologically-driven discourse, in a time when hate and division and doomsaying are on the rise, can we still remember the voice? Amidst all the noise, can we pick out the Good Shepherd's song? I'd like to borrow some of Jesus' confidence today, his sense that we sheep know the shepherd's voice, but out of caution... I also want to name for you three characteristics which I think can help even us postmoderns pick out the song. I think these three descriptors can help us distinguish the voice of the Good Shepherd over the din. Here they are The Shepherd's Song is a song of comfort. The Shepherd's Song is a song of challenge. The Shepherd's Song is a song of life abundant. First, a song of comfort. You know the joke about the older parishioner who walked up to her pastor on a Sunday just after the congregation had first read from a new translation of the Bible? In the story, the vestry had spent several months debating about updating the translation, and this new young pastor, she had worked for consensus, and in the end, the parish made the change, but that first Sunday, this particularly curmudgeonly elder walks up to the fresh-faced young pastor and says before leaving in a huff, If the King James Bible was good enough for St. Paul, it's good enough for me. Now, I'm in favor of regularly reading the Bible in the language of today, but there's a reason why, if you've attended funeral services here, you usually see the psalm printed from the King James translation. I can't tell you how many times I've been at the bedside of someone dying and have been asked, To say the 23rd Psalm, they never want the common English version. More than once, someone we thought was beyond speech began murmuring words along with us. There's something about the song of the Good Shepherd which sings to the primordial parts of us. I would argue there's something there to which our very souls are tuned. Because all of us, at times, all of us, find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death. The Good Shepherd song is a song of comfort. It isn't a song that promises you won't face hardship. Christianity is not a faith for avoiding hardship. The Good Shepherd song is not all still waters and green pastures. Faith isn't just for the good times. The folks I have known with the most intimate relationship with God have also often had an intimate relationship with loss. The closest of us to God often know what it is to find God in the foxhole, at the deathbed of a loved one, in a cancer diagnosis, or in the depths of addiction. Some of the closest people I know to God have had to hold on for dear life while their family or their church bullied them because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Those who have found God through loss, through pain, they know their shepherd. They have heard the song that led them through. If you're in one of those places right now, facing loss, at a time of uneasiness, unsureness, at a time where hope feels far away, know that there's a reason that when the angels show up in the Bible, they often begin with the words, Fear not. God often appears in the most antic, frantic, and loose-ended moments of life. Take time to listen. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Good Shepherd's song tells us we are not alone. The path through is well trod. The Good Shepherd's song, then, is also a song of challenge. To say that we follow a shepherd is to say that we believe in a God who has a vision where we ought to go. Jesus wasn't just a healer of bodies. Jesus hungered to heal hurting communities. Jesus preached a vision he called the reign of God. Others have translated the kingdom of God, the commonwealth of God, even the beloved community. Jesus enacted this vision around his table and among his followers. Jesus opened his meal to sinners, to tax collectors, to all of those who were counted as unclean. We live in a day when artificial intelligence has begun writing poetry and music. I believe the shepherd's song will never be imitated. Not really. Jesus' voice will always be unique because the good shepherd's song will always challenge us to go further than we can imagine on our own. Jesus often sang a surprising tune, healing on the Sabbath, tossing the tables of the corrupt money changers, including those the world thought unworthy, immoral, or outside the fence. Jesus' song, you can't fake it, because it will always call you further when it comes to justice, when it comes to wisdom, when it comes to love. Because finally, the Good Shepherd song is about life abundant for all. This passage from John is complicated. We could sit here for all day. We could do a graduate seminar just on the first 10 verses of John chapter 10, but it contains in that last verse that we read Jesus' mission statement. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. This is one where I prefer a different translation. I came that they might have life Life in Abundance. Notice Jesus doesn't say that he came so that we might have power in abundance, or good looks in abundance, or a sense of being right in abundance. Jesus doesn't even say that he came that we might have wealth in abundance. I know wealthy folks who can tell you money doesn't buy abundant life. Life in abundance can't be found by pursuing wealth, position, power, or prestige. Life in abundance, from the little I have learned, is often found by slowing down, by listening for the song we believe ourselves to be too busy to hear. Too often the church has tried to take on the role of the shepherd or, in the gospel today, the role of the gatekeeper. Too often we have tried to count who was in and who was out. When we ask, what is the Christian way to legislate, What is the Christian way to make company policy? What is the Christian way to treat our neighbor? I wish we would listen a bit more to this stanza of the shepherd's song. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. We should listen when folks tell us, this is abundant life for me. Jesus didn't say, I came to plant and grow a church. He told us that he came that all of us might live lives in ways that overflow with love, overflow with justice, overflow with mercy. We live in days that can feel far from the ways of scripture. We live in days of constant distraction with technologies and ideologies competing for our attention. Today, it is hard to tune out the angry noise. But if you listen, I believe you can still hear the shepherd's song. A song of comfort, a song of challenge, a song of life abundant enough for all. It's a good voice to follow. Amen.